0: Mediated Conversation on SAFM. 27 minutes to 9 the time. Time for your first Mediated Conversation of the week. Last week, two South African soldiers were killed, and three were hurt in a mortar attack on their camp in the DRC. They were part of the Southern African Development Community Mission in the DRC. It's also known as the SAMI-DRC Mission. As I understand it, this group of soldiers is really meant to take over from a United Nations force. The DRC has has asked the United Nations force to leave. They say that force was not able to bring peace to the area. This part of the DRC is essentially, mainly, jungle. In that section are several militia groups, including a group called the M23 rebel movement. They've been claiming for years that that group is in fact funded by Rwanda. Rwanda's denied those claims. So then, how difficult is the situation in the DRC? What kind of deployment are we making? And what would we really need to make a difference? First this morning, Faith Mubira is a senior researcher at the Institute for Global Dialogue. Then Guy Martin is the editor at Whip. We'll ask him about the fighting in this area. And Jasmine Opperman is a security consultant who researches extremism and political violence. We start then with Faith Mubira, a senior researcher at the Institute for Global Dialogue. Faith, good morning. Thanks for your time.
1: Good morning, Stephen. Good morning to the listeners.
0: Firstly, which groups are operating in the DRC? Who are our soldiers supposed to fight?
1: Uh, Stephen, this is a very interesting picture. So we know about the the cyclical violence in the eastern DRC, particularly because of this uh, 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 mushrooming of a number of armed groups. In fact, as per the latest reports, there presently more than 120 armed groups that are particularly um, have a, an operational presence um, um, in, in particularly in Eastern DRC, the North Kibu, South Kibu provinces. Now, as you rightfully mentioned, the Sami DRC operation was envisaged almost to take over in particularly the vacancy of the East African Regional Force, which had been asked to leave by Congolese authorities at the end of last year. And just to recap, the East African regional force which was made up of Kenyan, Ugandan, um, Burundian and South Sudanese forces had been asked in to, to particularly tackle this issue of containing and defeating negative forces, particularly the M23 in Eastern Kivu. So they had almost a peace enforcement um, mandate, if you will, but increasingly um, the Congolese authorities felt that their inability to contain and even secure the areas liberated from the M23 was a source of consternation for Congolese authorities. So they asked them to leave, um, and also the the mounting frustration and, and allegations, especially by the Congolese government, that the Rwandan forces were continuously arming and and actually providing. Um, a range of sophisticated weapons into the M-20, it was also frustrating this operation. So in the end, there was this perception that they had not really improved the security situation overall. So it's interesting that SAMI-GRC also comes at a time when um, the GRC is having multiple memberships in these two different regional communities. It, it sort of taps them into its membership in... Um, Saddec and asked for that for that um, fallback option after the EAC option was seen as not working. But at, of course, at the core, which is the question of whether perhaps Sutikendi is leveraging the um, SADEC operation to actually advance his own political agenda, vis a vis containing the N23 um, rebel group and actually settling scores and um, a history of long-standing tensions with rival um, Rwanda. So those are some of the dynamics that have been formed. Particularly the deployment of of the um, of, of the FAMI DRC uh, mission at this point in
0: time. How have these groups been able to keep this insurg- insurgency going for such a long time? Obviously, it's a very weak. The DRC is a weak state. I suppose we would call it that in that part in that area. But are these groups getting money or funding from somewhere? And obviously, this takes us almost immediately to Rwanda.
1: There's two dynamics at play here in the eastern DRC scenario. On one hand, there are those armed groups such as M23, which has been seen as proxy forces in the sense that, in fact, an independent um, UN report on sanctioned fasting actually detailed the, the the provision of military support by Rwanda um, to to the M23 rebel group. And as I mentioned, it's such um, a, an array of sophisticated weaponry. In fact, the latest was. That they're in possession of even surface to air uh, 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 missiles and anti aircraft guns. So you can see how that long standing support has almost been compounding into a significant security threat for the regime in in Kigali uh, as per their their perception and threat analysis. Now, on the other hand, also, there is a structural dynamic, a local structural dynamic uh, that contributes to um, the continued presence of this army. So you've rightfully stated. That there is a um, significant uh, fragmented security sector in the Eastern DRC, which has meant that this problem of demobilization and um, disarmament of these armed groups and their reintegration into what is essentially a lacking central state authority has contributed to them um, almost mushrooming and in, and, in mushrooming, also advancing their own local political agendas. So they've taken advantage of this lack of a unified um, um, central command authority. This this fragmented state security um, um, nature to 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 assert and control rein in um, a lot of this ungrowth, but also it's also pegged around the the, the fragmented nature of politics and the DFC. So this idea of um, elite networks, patronage networks that have centred around the mining interest and also the wealth attract extraction dynamics from the citizenry. So it's a very um, very combustible mix that has sort of given rise to, to the security situation at present. So those two dynamics, the local um, and, and the transnational um, support for armed groups and the security situation are important to bear in mind.
0: Would Rwanda want mineral resources that are in the DRC? Is that part of it, or do they just want to weaken the DRC?
1: They have historically had um, a share in but a lot of the contraband mining operations based in the eastern DRC, especially the gold sector. Um, historically, Rwanda and Uganda have also been used as um, almost a kind of transit transport hub um, um, from from for um, extraction, for the extraction uh, of minerals from the DIC. And it's interesting also the question of why the M23 um, resurgence occurred in late 2021 was, was that at a juncture at which we saw um almost a close or the realization of a very close working relationship. Um, an agreement between Uganda and um, Rwanda and, and uh, DRC for mining interest and including the paving and the infrastructure development of the Goma um, Rutshuru Road, which would also facilitate uh, budding trade relationship between um, Uganda and DRC. So this was also seen. From the perspective of Kigali as them waning a waning of influence and in their their session over the, the trade relations, that in a way Uganda was undermining their own uh, mining and economic interests. So essentially we have to look at the situation in DRC as uh interesting um and meshing of local. And, and regional and transnational politics, historically even going as far back as the, the, the era of the First Congo War mm. and the Second Congo War. So it's that very interesting question of political, geopolitical and economic interest on one hand, but also the larger question of what to do with the refugee crisis, especially in the DRC, around the borderline.
0: Um, so if our soldiers are going there, they're likely, and already have, it would seem, faced fire from the M23 rebel movement. So, just to be so I understand this, South African soldiers are going to be fighting people supported by Rwanda. Surely there must be other consequences of that. Isn't Rwanda part of SADC?
1: Rwanda is uh, not a part of SADC. um, And it's also interesting because this is the question of why I brought in the question of uh, a possibility of forum shopping on the part of Shikekedi. So, and this, this then speaks to, was it, a case of where he was increasingly frustrated by the East African community operation, the fact that they were not engaging in a more robust um, offensive operation vis-à-vis the M23. There's also, there's also the context that is very relevant in this case, that um, this operation is is happening against the backdrop of a drill down of um, uh, the UN uh, Stabilization Mission, multi-dimensional mach- 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 stabilization, stabilization mission in DRC, MONUSCO, which means that significantly we're going to have a widening security vacuum um, in the region. So you're right in saying that it's an interesting case of whether um, when we look at the state of play, whether the SADC forces are evenly matched in taking on um, uh, a, a sort of a belligerent who's gaining, not only has good knowledge um, of the terrain, but has also been historically involved and in, in, uh, possibly gaining um, a lot of external support from um, um, formidable opponents, whether that, um, of course, puts them at a disadvantage right at the, the starting point. So that I think that's the interesting uh, dynamic here. So if they continue to fund, for instance, to um, vested political interest in the service of vested political interest, of course the consequences in the longer term, because if you go into such an operation without adequate knowledge of your operational and tactical requirements, of course you're going, you're going to um, result in, in significant casualties um, and significant um, reputational damage. So I think it's a conundrum, particularly, that South and South Africa um, are going to be faced with.
0: Faith Mabera, thank you. Senior researcher at the Institute for Global Dialogue. Do appreciate the time. 17 minutes to nine. The time continuing your mediated conversation here on SAFM about our deployment to the DRC. Guy Martin is the editor at DefenceWeb. Guy, good morning.
2: Good morning, and thanks for having me.
0: This area is described as very dense jungle. How difficult is it to fight in those conditions?
2: It is quite a challenge. Um, The dense jungle makes uh, it easy for the rebels to to blend in, to to move undetected. Um, They also do have a lot of support from the local population, and it's often difficult to tell uh, rebels apart from civilians. rebels either dress up as civilians or use civilians to go and um, stake out bases and it's very difficult for uh, South African and other soldiers to differentiate between them. Um, so the dense jungle cover it does make um, uh, surveillance um, from the air difficult and the climate also takes quite a toll on um, friendly forces. Uh, I know South African soldiers, uh, they've for a long time been struggling with boots that disintegrate in the humid tropical environment. Uh, when it's raining, the roads become impassable and it can take hours to move a few kilometers along muddy tracks. Um, the rain, rainstorms can ground aircraft. Um, so it can be very difficult for, for both the rebel and the um, foreign forces to operate. Um, But the rebels obviously have a greater advantage because they know the terrain backwards and they know how to move, where to move, and they're also becoming quite well equipped. So the DRC is definitely a very challenging area in which
0: to operate. We keep hearing from experts like yourself that one of the real problems is a lack of air support and particularly attack helicopters. Can our soldiers do very much without attack helicopters? Very
2: little. Unfortunately, in a place like uh, the DRC, air power is absolutely crucial, um, not just in terms of uh, offensive aircraft, but just transport. Um, as I mentioned, the, the roads are, are very poor and sometimes non-existent. And when it rains, it's almost impossible to move by by land. And so you need uh, aerial uh, support to get troops from A to B and uh, to move equipment and also for medical evacuation. Um, but the the problem is that we are, South African Air Force in particular, is, is grossly um, underfunded and under equipped with very few serviceable aircraft. Now, if you look at uh, 2013, when the South African Air Force first sent the Royal Falk attack helicopter to the DRC, um, within essentially a week of the Royal Falk being deployed, uh, those, those helicopters were so effective um, against the, the M23 at that stage that the M23 came to the negotiating table and arranged a ceasefire. Now, we haven't had Roy Falks flying in the DRC for a year. And the other um, contributing uh, countries to semi-DRC, they, Malawi and Tanzania, they don't have any attack helicopters. So they can't um, provide us with anything. And none of the other um, SADC members are getting involved or contributing anything at the moment. So the SME DRC mission is grossly under resourced in terms of uh, equipment. Um, they've got a number of ground vehicles, armored personnel carriers, but it's, it's very limited. And without air support, I mean, they're going to be sitting ducks essentially
0: um what's gone wrong with the royal folks then it's just money that's needed to get them up and flying again literally if someone gave us the money we could fix them unfortunately it's not just money so
2: part of the problem lies with danelle um consequences of state capture and the sort of mess that 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 entailed at danelle has meant that danelle's been struggling to um Pay its suppliers to retain its staff and to actually carry out support contracts with the Air Force. So the Air Force is underfunded; it it doesn't have much, much resources to keep its its aircraft airworthy. But part of the problem is Denel is the original equipment manufacturer for both the Roy Falk and the RX. So even if the Air Force did have huge amounts of money, they can't just go to another company and say, "Please maintain and, and service our aircraft." at the buck stops at Danelle. And unfortunately, the challenges that Danelle is having is slowing down the whole maintenance process. So I'd say it's a 50-50 split between challenges at Nell and underfunding.
0: Sure. I mean, it shows you the complexity of the problem. And there's no other sort of donor or UN body or someone who would want to maybe donate the helicopters so that we would do the fighting, but in their helicopters. That's not going to happen either.
2: That's unlikely, and that was essentially how the the UN's MINUSCO mission was working. I see now that Rwanda has um, opposed suggestions that the UN provide support to SAMI DRC. Um, So at this stage, it doesn't look like the, um, the UN or any other country will come and assist, and it doesn't look like any other SADC country will come to assist which is quite unfortunate because um, there are many SADC countries like Angola who have quite powerful air forces. Um, Angola has a vast uh, fleet of aircraft, including helicopters, transport helicopters. And if they decided to contribute to SAMe DRC, uh, that would make a huge difference. But unfortunately, at this stage, it doesn't look like they will.
0: Um, so the outlook then for our soldiers on the ground is a very difficult one. I mean, this is going to be a very difficult thing to do.
2: Extremely. Um, our soldiers are essentially going in with one one hand tied behind their backs. Uh, for a start, there's not enough soldiers. There's not enough um, equipment. There's not enough support. We are sending um 2,900 soldiers from the SNDF, um, About there'll be about 5,000 total making up semi-DRC. Now this compares to the 20,000 soldiers that MINISCO had. In, over the last couple of decades, MINISCO was not able to bring peace to and stability to the DRC. So with a, a force that's a quarter of that size, it's Almost impossible that Sami DRC will be able to make much of a difference, especially without proper air support. So it doesn't it doesn't look like a very very positive um, outcome, especially considering the increasingly sophisticated array of weaponry that the M23 um, seems to be getting its hands on. A uh, few days ago, we saw reports of uh, drones dropping mortars on goma airport and damaging aircraft Uh, we've also seen that un report that rwanda was supplying the m23 with service to air missiles so the the sophistication um has increased tremendously over over the last uh, few months so the smedrc forces are going up against increasingly sophisticated rebels and it's just they are grossly grossly under-resourced for the task at hand uh, you'd need probably at least twenty thousand 0 semi-dr troops uh, with significant logistics and air support to be able to
0: make a difference guy uh guy martin thank you very much indeed he's the editor at defense web in a moment jasmine opperman on the situation in the drc nine minutes to nine Mediated Conversation on SAFM. Continuing your mediated conversation around the situation in the DRC, Jasmine Opperman's a security consultant It looks at extremism and political violence. Jasmine, good morning.
3: Good morning, Stephen, and morning to your listeners.
0: We deployed soldiers in that area Oh, more than 10 years ago now, I think it was. That didn't stop the M23 group. We had Royal Falk helicopters then. Is there any reason to believe our soldiers will be able to stop them operating now?
3: Now, uh, Stephen, sadly to say no, with, as already indicated by the previous speakers, with the numbers and the constraints they are facing, there is no way that we can expect them to make any significant impact. The only solution in that area lies at a political level. And all, the, all that we can hope for the military is to create an environment in which such negotiations can take place. But what I'm currently seeing is our soldiers caught up in a complex web in which they are going to become part of this conflict in which local communities in the long term is going to turn against them and say, you're not making it having any impact like MINUSCO. We don't want you here. We want you out. You're not providing us with the security we want
0: what would happen if nobody sent soldiers wouldn't i mean wouldn't there be an argument that would say civilians would be at the mercy of the m23 group and others and that actually we have a moral duty to look after people in that area
3: stephen good question we are not i am not opposing sending troops to enable uh, uh, or to counter the extremism that we are seeing in the drc the problem is If we want to play this role in the region, we first need to ask ourselves what is needed? What is fit for purpose to be able to make a difference? That is your first step. Then you can start thinking about deployment. Sadly, we are seeing a rushed in like we have seen in Cabo Delgado, Mozambique into this area completely foreign to our soldiers, foreign to the local communities, and then you are just accelerating the process. I've always had questions about peacekeeping operations, not that this is defined as a peacekeeping operation, but I still have to see a successful peacekeeping operation because of the complexities of local dynamics. And I'm afraid the risk in addition to the lives of our soldiers, is that this deployment can merely accelerate a violence attacks, and um, sadly, our soldiers will be left uh, with body bags coming home.
0: Sure. Um, we've heard how complicated it is the situation there, how many actors there are. Is there any kind of peace deal? I mean, I mean, I suppose Rwanda would have to first accept that it is actually funding m23 and it won't um but is there any way that someone could negotiate some kind of peace i hear what you say about using our soldiers to sort of create the environment for that but is there any other way to do it already we have seen uh, uh,
3: President President saying that there is no way he will negotiate with m23 during the election campaign he referred to kagame as a hitler and that he will go to war with Rwanda in defending the sovereignty then we sit with Burundi which is accusing the DRC of housing a Burundi group Retabara uh, that is opposing the Burundi government so there has been intermittent calls for a ceasefire M 23 repeatedly saying we're willing to talk we're willing to negotiate but all attempts at this point has failed Stephen it has not worked because of all these political dynamics at play in the DRC and Stephen there is a lot of financial interests at play in the DRC and do not exclude the DRC government here a lot of money to be made and that seems to be overriding any call for negotiations or peace
0: so then It's a very difficult situation. There's no easy end to this conflict. And from what you say and others say, more people are going to die.
3: Sadly, if we look at the DRC conflict, the last number I have seen, in total, we're looking at 6 to 8 million people that have died in the DRC um, during this uh, period of conflict. We are looking at human rights um, violations, abuses. We are looking at people fleeing. I'm afraid, Stephen, as much as I like to be optimistic, I cannot see the situation with what is currently being done by uh, Sadiq and the some the some Sami DRC forces, that it will make any significant impact or change in terms of what is happening in that region.
0: Jasmine Opperman, thank you, security consultant. My thanks also to Guy Martin, editor at Defence Web, and Faith Mabeira, senior research at the Institute for Global Dialogue.